0: Hello Henrietta. How are you today? Hi
1: Jason. I'm very well, thank you. Still in quarantine.
0: <laughs> Still in quarantine. Well, welcome to the conversations with Jason Campbell and Henrietta Galena. And in this episode, we have we have a guest. Our guest this week is Imran Ahmed, who's the editor in chief and the CEO of the Business of Fashion. Imran, welcome to the, the conversation. Hello, thank you for having me.
1: Thank you for joining us. We're excited to speak to you. We've got a lot to dig
2: into.
0: Absolutely. And there's a lot going on in our world right now, isn't there, Imran?
2: There is, there is so much going on in the world at the moment. I don't think personally um, I've ever experienced a time in the world when there is, there is so much going on at so many different levels. It started with a public health Emergency, which is obviously grave, and you know, hundreds of thousands of people are now dead. That grew into an economic emergency. Millions and millions of people are out of work all over the world, and and now we're you know we're entering a new phase of this crisis, which is it's like it's social emergency, and you know, not not just in America, incidentally, but in other parts of the world as well. This pandemic has just broken everything open for all of us to see. So yeah, this is this has been a you know, a harrowing
0: time, I think, for the global community.
2: Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, to, and and you said you said something there that this pandemic has broken so many things open, and I do agree with you on that. And I, and that underscores the subject of our Episode this
1: week. Yeah, it really is speaking to this uh, idea that actually everything has been exposed and it's, it's happening in real time. So, you know, with this level of heightened civil, racial injustice and unrest, our question to you today, or I guess the way we're framing the conversation, is what is the role of fashion? within that. You know, fashion is, it's a really huge system that really documents culture and it really is about the people and the communities. Um, And as one of the most influential people in our industry, I think you bring a really interesting perspective to it, having a bird's eye view of everything, you know, from working and speaking to designers, business leaders, being on the ground with communities, and then having to actually document this on your platform of business of fashion. Um, Why don't we start there with that question, where do you see the role of fashion at a time like this?
2: Yeah, it's it's a really good question. And, you know, before, before I kind of answer that directly, I, the other thing that I would like to just inject into the conversation we have is that this is also, this conversation also has a global perspective. And so, you know, the civil unrest that we're seeing in the U.S. right now, which is the result of years and years and years and generations of oppression, and violence against Black and brown people, that is something that is happening in other parts of the world too, mm-hmm. right? It is present here in the UK. You know, people aren't out in the streets here right now because we haven't had a an incident that has inflamed and, you know, rightfully got people out into the streets. But in the UK, you know, Black and minority ethnic people are disproportionately impacted by the coronavirus. In sub-Saharan Africa, there's colonialism has left a stain on that continent in india the underprivileged you know migrant workers have been hit terribly by this crisis many of them work in fashion Mm -hmm. and there are people who have a role to play in our system and those are just examples of countries where i have a firsthand experience so systemic racism that is being exposed in the u.s right now it's also being exposed in other places. And I just think that's really important to say, because one of the things that at BOF that we try to bring is this is this global perspective. Now, to your more specific question, which is what, what's the role of the fashion industry at a time like this? Well, you know, I think there's, that's a very complex question. And I'm going to do my best to answer it from my perspective. But of course, I don't I don't claim to have all the answers. But I can just have some thoughts first of all, I think there's a moral obligation. And it seems to me that this is about humanity first and foremost. And speaking up about what's happening in America right now is necessary from that perspective alone. it's It's the right thing and the morally right thing to do. And, you know, sadly, as I look around the world right now, and again, not just in the US, but you know, also here in the UK and in other places, we have a complete lack of leadership in the world right now. And our governments are not doing their jobs. They are not taking care of vulnerable people during this crisis. They are not protecting people in the way that they need to. And businesses, including fashion businesses, have an opportunity to step into this breach. They have an opportunity to take leadership positions, especially high-profile businesses like fashion businesses, because they have a visibility in culture that makes them important. Mm -hmm. And that visibility that our industry has, I mean, it's only grown in the 10 or so years that I've worked in fashion. Fashion's gone from being this, I'd call it, you know, it's like become like, Another pillar in popular culture alongside sports or music or you know or Hollywood. Like, you know, fashion's become so important. And that in that way, fashion has an important voice. So, morally speaking, I think our industry needs to speak up. But there's there's also very clear business rationale why the industry should be engaging on this topic. And this concerns everybody who engages with our industry, and our industry engages with lots of very, very diverse customer bases who are directly impacted by this situation, who are watching what's happening and are personally traumatized by the repeated visuals of Black men being killed by police officers. And as an industry that has regularly taken inspiration from Black culture and an industry that continues to market its wares and its products to those communities, then of course our industry is, must address those topics because its customers care about those topics. The research that I've seen says that especially people under the age of 30, the growing customer base of our industry, they care so much about these topics. It's like one of the most important things for them is equity around race and social mm-hmm. justice. So for all of those reasons, I think you know our industry must be taking some kinds of actions and at the very least speaking up and then making some kinds of commitments and getting involved in understanding how they can play a role in furthering change.
0: Um, Imran, you just mentioned one thing here that that I am now finally, for the first time in fact, starting to hear echoed in different areas of the fashion industry. And that is what the industry has taken from Black culture. It's sounding very bold. I just saw a recent post from High Snobbity that is a, a streetwear platform. Yeah, they, they were very blatant that their company is essentially erected on Black culture. This time has forced people to really come, <laughs> to really step on that platform and make that declaration. But that sentiment from Black people like ourselves we have been stating this for a very long time. That's been the fight. You know, if nothing else, the fight for us has been like we know our economic impact. We know our influence in terms of taste and so forth. We are aware of these things. They're quantifiable. They're certainly qualifiable. But now in this time, for the first time, it's being announced and is being announced in places that never announced it before. Mm-hmm. I can only I can only hope that ownership now is being taken of that statement and how powerful and important this is and how this will map again what's taking place out there. In the-
1: I do appreciate that. That sentiment's been echoed predominantly in the sort of sports and, and streetwear realm. Reebok actually did a post that said our business wouldn't exist without the Black community. And while I obviously appreciate the acknowledgement, I think one of the things I thought was interesting about what you said previously was this idea of fashion's influence and due to the lack of societal and governmental leadership, it might be incumbent on fashion to sort of step into that role. But I can't help but wonder how that could be really possible and true, given that the governmental and societal structures that are upheld and perpetuate racism, how much that is mirrored in fashion. You know, it's not an accident Mm -hmm. that fashion looks the way that it does. The heads Mm -hmm. and decision makers and gatekeepers and community leaders are largely white and male in a lot of cases too. And, you know, when we look at the quote-unquote Karens or the Amy Cooper profiles, Those increasingly, and I know from experience, those are the CEOs, the CMOs, the heads of marketing, where it's very much about being the quote unquote progressive and being exposed to different communities and different types of people. But yet at certain moments, uh, wittingly or not, they're able to weaponize certain tools such as their presumed fragility Mm -hmm. that continues to perpetuate covert and overt racism. So I struggle with this idea that fashion could actually step into that leadership role when actually the parallels and the structures are really blindingly obvious. How can we move beyond just this idea that we can take ownership and announce that there is systemic racism? And how can we actually move beyond just kind of social media posts, the rhetoric, and then the news cycle changes, it becomes a different topic. How can we actually force meaningful change?
2: Sure. So let me address two parts. There that you've raised, which I think are both really important. The first is um, the acknowledgement and the fact that currently, you know, the representation of people of color in general across our industry—not just black people, but brown people and you know Asian people—at the very top levels of our organizations are just not present. And you know that is that is a matter of fact and. We've obviously looked at that research very regularly at Bof, you know, checking out the the boards of these companies. So two of the companies that spoke yesterday quite vocally uh, and, in a, I think, in a very collaborative way was were Nike and Adidas. Um, you know, Nike did their post on "Don't Do It," and in an interesting turn of events, Adidas retweeted Nike. And on the surface, you know, I thought that was really great because. Normally, rivals in our company in our industry do not collaborate, and they don't certainly don't share each other's content and posts.
1: But that's exactly um, why I'm talking when you look, about here. The optics are yeah, so dangerous. Look, Sorry.
2: Go ahead, uh, Henriette.
1: You know that New York Times exactly. expose. It turned out that less than four point five percent of exactly. Adidas's so, but when you, team they hire thousands of people. Less than four point five percent of them are actually black. Even fewer exactly. in leadership positions. So doesn't that make that collaboration that that statement redundant in some ways
2: exactly exactly so when you look at the board of Adidas the people or not the board rather the executive committee or the or the executive committee of Nike there's no people of color at all and so i think where the real work starts to get back to your question is in making sure that that representation exists inside the companies and that there is that diversity of perspective that ensures that you know that when these companies are talking about these issues, it's not just as a, a reaction to something that's happened, mm-hmm. but it's a proactive stance that's embedded into the inner workings of the company. So that was my first point. The, the second point is that BOF, and this is on your question about, well, what role does fashion have to play in such of these like really, really complex global issues? in society and, and with economic structures as we have them. And at, at BOF, we've been thinking a lot about the idea of stakeholder capitalism, which is that, and this is not just about fashion, this is about business generally. And it's a, it's a topic we've started to see in a lot of places. There was this thing called the Business Roundtable last year, where over, I think, almost 200 CEOs of American companies said, you know, we are no longer here to serve just the interests of shareholders. Mm-hmm. We are here to serve the interests of multiple stakeholders in our communities, and that includes our employees and our customers and, and the people around us and our supply chains and you know the whole gamut. It's not just about profit. And I really believe that same principle can apply to the way the fashion industry thinks about itself as an industry. Of course, it's a business and it has to make money and there's all of that stuff. But given the influence of our sector, given the position That we have in culture, as I mentioned before, there's an opportunity to really advance conversations. And so I commend Adidas and Nike for making those moves on on social media yesterday. But I also say that it's not enough. And I think thinking about the role of big business in society generally needs to be expanded, especially since it feels like government leadership is, is really failing us.
0: Imran, your points are super well taken, particularly as it relates to this leadership conversation. But I have to say, in speaking of um, Adidas and speaking of Nike, what I think about is after this statement is made, what happens? Who is the overseeing body? Who holds them to that statement? Who ensures that between now and the next crisis? that what they have outlined is upheld. Again, I'm, I, I understand that things are incremental, mm-hmm. and I recognize that for them to come together and for them to, let's call it a joint statement, or at least for Adidas to support Nike's statement, I, I think it's great. But who holds them? These behemoths are so powerful, and they're, they're kind of used to this. We're used to these controversies flaring up and the news cycle with the news cycle going away. But what happens now when they make such a statement, when you um, corroborate that, in fact, in their executive class, they have no representation of people of color. But yet the statement is so bold. It's so comforting, to be perfectly honest. But again, we are kind of sick of like, you know, digesting these little bon mots and then going off and like hoping that things are going to get better without an actual blueprint. How do we go about holding these organizations feet to the fire?
2: okay so I think that's also a very valid perspective and I understand where you're coming from completely the way I think we need to think about this is that that some of that accountability has to come from inside the company and creating the right structures uh, commitments and, and and processes internally that en- enables the community of people that work in that company to hold the company to account and if companies, are more thoughtful about working on their internal efforts and work in this space. And if they create empowered communities internally that help them to have those difficult conversations and that enable them to raise difficult questions and challenging questions that may be uncomfortable, then I think some of the accountability comes from the inside. I think external accountability comes from a variety of different places. And I'm sure you are familiar with ESG investor um, principles. And, you know, I, I talked about stakeholder mm-hmm. capitalism earlier. I th- talked about customer. You know, I think at the end of the day, you know, as these are businesses, they're also held to account by the communities that engage with them. So it's their internal communities, but then it's also their external communities. And by the way, yes, that includes The media and you know, Jason, you and I have both in. We first met in the media space. I know it's not necessarily our main gig now, but it, you know, I think there's there's role for all of the different parts of our ecosystem to help bring that sense of
1: accountability. I 100% agree. I think what's interesting about this time specifically is usually we want to hold people accountable and we want to understand what our current leaders are doing in terms of like self-evaluation and assuming more responsibility. I think what is interesting in 2020 is very much like the racial injustice that we're suffering culturally and beyond. We're sick and tired of being sick and tired. So actually we're moving beyond that conversation where we're like, okay, well, we've seen that Obviously, this is in extreme cases of injustice and racial violence, you'd have to be heartless to not denounce it. But in terms of just the day-to-day mm-hmm. machinations of how this industry runs and how the world runs, what are we really doing? Is, mm-hmm. Doesn't it go beyond self-assessment and the current leaders assuming responsibility and it, and it becomes more about like, okay, who are these leaders? Where's the equity? And how can we create more equity so that the work can actually be done? Because right. I don't necessarily see to the point of the quote unquote Karen's and and Amy Cooper profiles. I, I find that parallel really interesting because, for intensive purposes, they can check themselves to certain degrees. But isn't it really about changing the conversation to equity, full and total equity? That seems to me the only way that real change can come about. Because I don't know that we're trusting the current leaders, given that we we've been in the status quo for the decades. The agenda. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I um, have to apologize if I seem really
2: dystopian. <laughs> it's been a rough... No, episode. no, no, no. Yes. I mean, I know it, it, it's been <laughs> terrible and I'm, I'm, I empathize with you on that. And I'm, I have to believe as a human being that w- when the world is going through, you know, this terrible epidemic turned pandemic, turned economic crisis, turned social crisis that in the state that we're all in sitting in our homes you know watching everything that's happening on mm-hmm. our phones more connected with the people in our lives and talking to people about what's going on i'm not sure if that's your experience but my experience has been there's been more conversation about what's happening in the world right now not on just this topic but also on sustainability and the climate crisis than i've ever seen and i i have to hope that you know this This moment provides a great opportunity for our industry to react differently and to take some of the steps necessary towards equity, which Henrietta, you raised. Because, yes, it it has to start with that. But that's where I think the internal processes and accountability have to happen because it can't happen overnight either. But if people set targets and if people change their recruitment processes and if people inject more voices and diversity of perspective into the way these companies are run, then everyone will be better off for it. It's in their own interest. It's in our own interest as an industry to operate that way. So that's the way Mm -hmm. I'm choosing to interpret it and process it right now. I know it sounds optimistic, but I have to be optimistic because I have to feel like, you know, this is not all for nothing, you know, and um, this time, I don't know about you, but The level of conversation, the people involved in the conversation, the the rigor of the conversation and the depth of the conversation is more than I've seen.
1: I've pangs of optimism because I think that
2: uh, the last few
1: years we've been lulled into this almost false sense of security with this backdrop of inclusion and diversity and empathy as these huge marketing and branding themes. And I think we've been exposed to the fact that it might not necessarily work beyond a public facing marketing or ad campaign so actually people's feet are being held to the fire in a way that it's like okay we really we talk we talk the talk let's walk the walk and really talk about diversity equity i mean i kind of get moments where i think that that's possible um so i i definitely i hear
0: you i do And guys, I also have to speak towards uh, personal responsibility. I read a caption from the the journalist Sarah Moyer's Instagram earlier today, and I was taken by that as well because I like that it went to the root of certain things. And essentially, Sarah, I have to paraphrase, really paraphrase here, but essentially, Sarah speaks to... Uh, her miseducation. She speaks to so much that had been left out of the education system, specifically in England, and so much that she does not know about the racial strife, or uh, let's say some of the reasons why we are so, so fired up when these issues come about, because they're centuries, there's such a legacy of disenfranchisement of her community across the globe for such a long time. But she really just spoke to not having the education, anything from the, the crisis from the Victorian age to the colonial exploitation, to the lack of slavery that's discussed anywhere outside of the US. So I've really been thinking about how so many people don't know? It's like when you accuse someone of being, you know, you're like that's that's actually racially insensitive, if not racist. Sometimes when you confront people with some of these things, they're really, really unaware of how that position is yes. racist. And yes. I think also yeah. that's a huge, that's a quite a and quite a big thing in this time because I think there is there is fear. There's fear about what to say, what not to say, how to participate, how not to participate, how knowledge you are in terms of these issues, on these issues, if your experience is enough to speak along it. There's a lot that sort of feeds into that personal position in speaking about race. But what I appreciated about Sarah's caption is that she at least Posted it and said that there is a chasm in my education. There is a lot I didn't learn. I, even as a smart journalist who's been working in this business for such a long time, I am still coming to terms with some of these things that we did not know. That's very deep. That's very entrenched in a culture. So I'm extending some empathy to that community. Let's call it, Let's let's say white people who've been miseducated. I'm thinking about how do we help them. I mean, I know there's a lot of hands-off thinking these days of like, I'm tired.
1: It is equity. I've found usually as one of the only, you know, one to three Black people, it's useful having me around. I mean, don't get me wrong, Black people and people of color, we're not a monolith. So my views versus another Black person's wouldn't necessarily be the same, but it helps to have that dialogue. It actually helps to sit next to a person of color and have that dialogue behind closed doors, one-on-one, in a personal setting, in a more personable setting, those things matter. And so I think that the challenge could really be mitigated in ways by giving space to that equity. You know, I think that you learn by osmosis also sometimes. So again, it is in everyone's best interest to have different people around. And, And that also goes across the LGBTQ plus community that goes for everyone. I think equity is the answer.
0: Oh, 100%, 100%. and I think, as I said, we've been speaking about it, certainly in this forum and offline, for a very, very long time, and we always land on that feature. If that doesn't change, and as to your point earlier, Henrietta, that's exactly what has not changed in these companies, that equity does not look any different at all than, say, 20, 25, 30 years
2: ago. Yeah, I would completely agree with you guys on that, obviously, because the lack of representation is where issue ends but I think it starts with where you were at Jason before which is understanding deep understanding and for Sarah mower to to post that as a you know white woman in you know privileged white woman in this society and to publicly post that I have not seen yeah absolutely. elite fashion people behave like that before at you know? all and you know going back to my optimism I have to think that some of the conversations we're having now are conversations that we should have had a long time ago, but they're happening now. And so that's why this moment is important.
1: And to that point of optimism,
2: I'm trying to summon it because it's um,
1: it's been a bit dark the last few days. But what are the things that you are most excited about? I think mm-hmm. you have such an interesting perspective having such... A bird's eye view, but also such close relationships, and you know, you see everything up close. What are the things that you think are possible, both in the short term and in the long term, in terms of dismantling the problematic structures of fashion and rebuilding
2: it? Well, in addition to just having the conversations, I genuinely believe that more people, professionals, and organizations in this industry are trying to get a deeper level of understanding on these issues because it starts with that understanding. And so, you know, because it's such a complex and multifaceted space that we're talking about and there are no simple solutions, I can't say that there's like 16 initiatives that I've seen out in the industry that are going to solve everything. I, you know, We're far from there. I think we're still very early on this journey towards getting the equity that you're speaking of. However, I do think that over the last 18 to 24 months as the industry has had to grapple with some of these things, sometimes in very controversial ways, it's forced the industry to pay attention. It's forced the industry to listen to other perspectives and it's forced the industry to engage more deeply, to understand how their customers feel about this. So, you know, that's, that's, that's what I feel is happening in the industry. When I talk to people, there are definitely conversations happening that were not happening 18 to 24 months ago. And I know, you know, it seems that just talking about it is not enough. And absolutely. I you, that's but absolutely it does where it starts, start though. Those
0: conversations. Yeah. But Imran, this is, has arrived at the big part of this conversation. And that being that this issue, this this racial unrest that's going on in America... Is, is a uniquely American problem. I know we started off this discussion with a with a worldview and a global look, but I, I, I do know, I do know that these things don't have as much sensitivity considerate of the American history surrounding race and civil rights and so forth. I understand that history is not yes. shared, but as you expressed before, there's a there's a moral response to this, but maybe you could break down to me just the energy in Europe and how that's different than the energy in the U.S. in respect to these issues. And if responsibility differs, like if there is if, if a greater sense that Americans have to be on top of these issues and lead the fight and the fight is theirs, and Europeans are just along for the ride or the rest yeah. of the, the world for that matter. I want a yeah. better sense. Well, I should start by, by that. saying
2: that I am no expert in neither European history nor American history. So whatever I'm saying is based on you know my superficial understanding of these two great cultures and parts of the world, um, and having lived here in London for twenty years, I've obviously immersed myself in this society and culture. And it was you know it was very different for me when I moved to I moved I, I grew up in Canada, and you know our our the way Canada is as a place to grow up is very different from the U.S. It's very different from the U.K. So all of that being said, I think what's breaking open here is that. Um, Like I've seen data coming out of the U.S., the social class structure here is being um, completely exposed by the crisis, the health crisis and the economic crisis. So if you look at the number, the proportion of people in the U.K. um, who who have died, which is almost 40,000 people now, there's a disproportionately high percentage of black Um, Asian and minority ethnic people, Mm -hmm. what they call the BAME group here in the UK. And there's been a lot of discussion about that because these are also the people who are in, they're they're dying as frontline workers in hospitals. Um, They're dying because they're exposed as bus drivers or taxi drivers or Uber drivers or whatever. And so there's been a lot of conversation here about, well, our society is being literally held up by these people right now. And at the same time, these are the people who have been disproportionately impacted by this crisis because we've had 10 years of austerity in this country where healthcare cuts and other cuts in, in social welfare have completely disenfranchised large portions of the society. And so this kind of entity that's being, it's being exposed here, we just haven't had the same kind of incident that inflamed people and brought people into into Mm -hmm. the streets but people are still like it's in it's in all of the media people are actively talking about it and so that's why it was important for me to underscore that you know although we don't have the same level of intensity right now of, of that conversation and of course the history of the U.S. and its own story of race and slavery is you know a very particular one to the U.S. I think you know, there are similar issues that countries around the world are grappling with. And so, you know, I think I think that's a good thing that that this, you know, not that there's a silver lining to a pandemic, but it's good that these conversations are
0: happening. And I, I absolutely agree, Inran, I absolutely agree. And now in respect to the business of fashion, your publication, what have been the challenges that you have faced? In addressing some of these issues, you know, I, I must say, from my view of your own page, I didn't see a tremendous amount of coverage, for example, on the current crisis in America, and I had seen some of the comments that was also speaking to that. So now that we, you know, we ha- we, we have you here, I would like to know what what are some of those challenges you guys face personally, like business of fashion, as the as really the the leading voice, a leading voice certainly in this industry. Uh, that you have faced surrounding yeah. well, you, these know, for, issues, specifically I, you know first of all I think this racial issue. at BOF, when we
2: cover topics like this we want to cover them with reflection and deep understanding of the issues so of course if there's breaking news about a designer being appointed you know that's something we can cover quite quite quickly and with the snap of a finger because you know there's there's not a lot of depth and and kind of real thinking that needs to go into something like that. But with a story like this, we really want to reflect deeply. And as always, our role as not like a a mainstream publication, but as a business publication focused on the fashion industry Mm -hmm. is to make those connections so people understand why this is a fashion industry topic, like why this is something the fashion industry needs to be thinking about. And that, you know, frankly, that just takes, some time sometimes for us to to kind of understand, see how the industry is responding, and then provide a perspective on what's happened and and what the industry is doing and and whether we feel it is enough. And so over the last few days, as all of this has been rolling out amidst a global pandemic and an economic crisis that has the industry on its knees and contracting by up to 40% this year, you know, we have been thinking about it and you will have started to see it in our coverage and you will continue to see it in the coverage that we will be putting out, you know, in the coming days because, you know, and then there's also other bigger projects that we can, we can do to kind of have a deeper perspective on it because BOF is never just about saying this happened, right? BOF is always about saying this has happened, this is what we think it means and this is what we think you need to do. There's always that kind of, consultative bit about educating our community and the wider industry. So that's how we've been approaching this story. And that's how our readers will continue to see it. Now, on a personal level, you know, I also wanted to think about this situation and figure out what I wanted to say as a leader in this industry. And I took the time I needed to come up with a a very personal statement that, you know, is really reflecting on All of the information and videos and conversations that I've been having over the past few days to have my say. And, you know, that statement is out there. And I felt very comfortable with the way I made that statement because that's that came from the heart. You know, that wasn't a BOF thing.
1: I definitely was aware and and reading on a lot of the criticism around what was said, not said, what's timely, what's not timely, not just on business and fashion, but the industry generally. And I think in terms of the role of fashion press, it is a bit of a funny one because it's like Do you just, to your point, you can't just say this is what's happening. You have to uh, somehow connect it in a meaningful way to the business of fashion. That's specifically what you guys do. But I think it's an interesting point because it speaks to this idea of failed leadership. And Mm -hmm. so the larger fashion community looking for that, looking to that leadership. So it it becomes that chicken or egg of how do you talk about cultural issues that pertains to fashion with rigor, which takes time, Mm -hmm. versus being called upon to fill some sort of leadership role in the absence of one, so I think that's an interesting dichotomy there.
2: Yeah, and you know, I, there was another example a few years ago where we found ourselves in a situation <laughs> similar to this, and you know, I was talking to our team about it, and we went and went back and reflected on on that moment, and that was when there was the Muslim ban shortly after Donald Trump got mm-hmm. elected, and again, we noticed that many fashion companies had just remained silent while all of that was happening, while people were protesting at airports and fashion was silent. And, you know, we as a team took our time to understand that. And on the surface, like protests at American airports over an immigration ban doesn't seem, you know, connected to the fashion industry. But with the right time, we were able to connect it back to the thing, the, the, the theme I mentioned earlier, which is fashion has an important voice in culture and society. And we should be using these voices at times like these when people's rights are being completely disenfranchised. And so what we did at that time was we did put out a, a kind of editorial statement saying, you know, this is what's happening. This is what the industry has done so far, but it's not enough. And then we went on from that and we went and raised $60,000 for the UN UNHCR and the ACLU to support organizations that we felt we're helping to address some of the challenges and we engage the industry in a in a massive conversation around this topic. And that all started, but it takes, it, you know, it doesn't happen in 24 hours. It takes It takes time to think about what's the proper way to get involved in one of these conversations, which are extremely important conversations. So we have learned, especially on these kinds of issues, that we benefit from taking the right time to deeply reflect on the things that are happening and how this intersects with our industry and our community, so that's you know that would be my answer on that.
0: Well, you know, you actually bring up another conversation, Henrietta, that we could have in a, in another episode, and that being you know knee jerk reaction in in our culture. Uh, and, and when I say knee jerk reaction, I mean a quick reaction. I think a lot of people. React to things instantaneously because we have the tools to do so. But to your point, uh, Imran, you, you you do represent uh, the business of fashion publication that may, as Henrietta said, require greater rigor. Yeah, and in, in, order not, in
2: order for it not, it in order for it not to be seen as superficial or marketing, so, wait, it by question. definition needs to come from a place of deep understanding, both as an organization and as individuals. It has to be part of the belief system, and if you just act. With immediacy, without like really, if you just kind of react and respond without you know reflecting, then I I, I don't think that serves you well either. So it's certainly a fine balance. But I think you know if you know as an organization what is the impact that we can truly have, rather than jumping on a bandwagon and reacting, and rather than just choosing to remain silent, um, you will find the right way of, of engaging. But if you don't have that inner organizational purpose and mission and understanding what your role is, then it's very hard to react in a way that's responsible. To a
1: certain extent. I mean, I would definitely, it's interesting because we've seen this wave in the last, say, 36 hours of companies who are coming out in support, you know, they're being called on to come out in support. And, you know, just knowing the inner workings of some of these companies, I'm like, how true is this? how much of this is marketing? How much of this is kind of co-opting into this movement to check the boxes? And there was a part of me that was a bit like, I'd rather you stayed silent and actually did the work to focus on the inequities and the racial injustice in your own organisation, and less about Mm -hmm. putting out rhetoric and smokes and mirrors on social media. And again, that requires time and, and all of that sort of thing. I think that we're kind of in a bit of a dangerous point where marketing content social media rigor the real work the real conversations they kind of are becoming amalgamated they're conflating into one thing so it, it gets a bit tricky to decipher who's telling the truth and and, and to understand add to that, that transparency
2: problem. and to add to that problem sorry for interrupting no not at Comu- all communication and fashion has traditionally been so controlled and carefully managed mm-hmm. and so I think some of the challenge that we have as an industry is like, how do we communicate and respond quickly with authenticity from the heart? Because this is what people really are looking for, you know? And so when I read comments on Instagram of people calling out companies, they're calling out companies because these companies, they see them as important. And I just think that this industry Fashion companies generally, fashion generally, is so controlled and carefully managed, they haven't yet fully mastered the art of how do you engage in a truly responsive dialogue in the internet space. And this has been a problem. I mean, 10 years ago, I remember when when social media first became a thing and I started talking to business leaders about it, the fact that they couldn't control it was the most, like the the idea that they just couldn't get their heads around. Mm -hmm they couldn't get their heads around. And in fact, many of them said to me at the time, they said, well, I, I was once on a right. panel, at, <laughs> at, at, there were some luxury executives on the panel. And it was like, right, it was 2007, you know, it was April, 2007. And someone on the panel, uh, the, the moderator asked me, well, you know, what do you make of this thing called Facebook? And I said to them, well, listen, I mean, I don't know that much about Facebook. I just know that there's like 30 million people on it right now, and they all seem to be talking about lots of things, including fashion. So, if you're a fashion company, you probably want to be in that conversation. Mm -hmm. And they, you know, executives couldn't. I got booed off the. Like they basically like told me I was completely off the mark. And um, I remember that phase. They they just couldn't get their head around the way that the communication works on these channels and even 10 years later i think if you look at what's put out it's all like this pre-programmed stuff that's all planned in advance so when something like this happens they don't even have the internal infrastructure and and humanity in the process to think well how is the, how does yes. this how does this how do we respond to this as a as a as an organization that's part of a community that's being impacted by this by this terrible situation i just i think that's where part of the the gap is as well that's
1: absolutely true that's so true and i think it's interesting because it's um, interestingly enough fashion has done a really great job over the years that you know they've been on social media of advertising authenticity so you know, it, it looks a certain way, it sounds a certain way, it feels a certain way, and it. And now I think there's going to be a call to action to actually really, really look at what that is and what that looks like. It has has to change. This notion of authenticity, the idea of brands moving with authenticity.
0: Yes, and to make that to make that effective, representation has to be there, and I think that's the point that we all agree on. That. And that that authentic response will not come. Yes, and I, I think that that diversity
2: of perspective I think it's even more <laughs> than silence. If if we don't have that diversity of perspective in our organizations, if we don't have that representation, then that allows and enables the kind of systemic racism to either be consciously or subconsciously continued, both inside and outside the industry. So that's certainly you know, going back to Henrietta's early point, the most important change is just having people around the table who genuinely care about these issues from a personal, lived experience perspective, because then they can help. To the point about Sarah Moore, they can have those difficult conversations with people who are realizing maybe where their blind spots see are. The
1: only way, yeah.
2: Amron, thank you so much for your time. No, thank you for asking me. I know it's a really difficult time in the world, and I. You know, I wanted to talk from a from a really personal place, but also to do my best to just share what I've learned over the last few years about this topic. So, you know, I'm honoured that you asked me, and I hope that we will find some reason to be optimistic and that this is just um, the beginning of our dialogue with you on it. I'd love to keep in touch with you and keep talking
1: more. Absolutely. Thanks, Imran.
2: Be safe. Be well. All right, babe. you too. Take care. Okay. Bye. hundred percent.
0: Thank you.